the Blue Bomber Podcast. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. Let's get right down to it. Derek Taylor, the Blue Bomber Podcast. And is it the play of plays? Janarian Grants. Well, let's listen to it first. Let's listen to your call and then your reaction to what many are calling one of the best kick return touchdowns in the history of the Canadian Football League. Corsak to punt, line of scrimmage, his 30. He'll keep it away from Janarian Grant. A little end over end, gets on the ground and skips forward. Great punt. Grant at the 20 around the first man. And he's going to cut back to the left, jumps through a guy around Donkey. Stiff arms Pete Robertson, turns off another man, Janarian Grant to the 40, the 50, into Ryder territory. Janarian Grant has got one guy to beat. Janarian Grant is going to score. Are you joking? That might be one of the best kickoff returns I've ever seen in football. That was, how does he have that much energy? The best ever, Derek Taylor? I don't know the answer to that. It's the best one I can remember seeing. And, and you know, I've been watching since Warren Moon, so there there must have been other ones. This was the one downside. The one thing when you talk to Janarian, he, he kind of points to the Grey Cup. Uh, that's, that's actually pretty important, too. Uh, the one that gives them the lead. Um, it's up there. I know it might be up there with the one in the Grey Cup, you know, being that we know it took, a, took a loss from that, but New Year. I knew me, same, same mentality, you know, just to get the ball in the end zone each and every time and putting my offense in a better prevailed position. What made you want to cut this one back from the boundary to the field side? Was it? It's just what I seen, you know, just allow my body just to be out there and move, move against the wave of the guys that was coming at me and, you know, just using my speed to get to the end zone. Yeah. This one on a skill level might be the, might be the best one you ever saw because he dodges that first player who's coming down 100 miles an hour, which is a great move on its own. But then to cut back and bubble, and when you watch it again, there was not a lot in the way of blocking going in his favor, right? Because of the cutback, it makes it a little more awkward. You see Retta Cramdy kind of has Jorgen Hoos by the shirt and then looks at the official and lets it go to make sure there's no penalty. Like There, there aren't a lot of good blocks going his way. To the point where when you talk to the coaches, like uh, the special teams coach, Paul Boudreau, said, uh, you know, it's never really a guy's doing it by himself, but that's as close as we've ever seen maybe to a guy doing it by himself. Uh, and, you know, he's stiff arming off these guys like Janarian's listed at 157 and he's stiffing off. You heard Nicole Pete Robertson. He's a 243 pound defensive end. The final guy he stiffs off before he gets the corner is Bruno LaBelle. I believe it was a 248-pound fullback. Now this guy, come on! How do you? How are you bossing these guys? 80 pounds bigger than you are. That doesn't make any sense. But it's just how hard that he runs. So um, if you take all the context of the importance of the game out of it, it's pro- it may well be the best one we've ever seen. But like Janarian had won in each of the playoff games last year. Those are obviously bigger because they're they're playoff games. But skill-wise and uh, excitement-wise and 
maybe length of time wise, it's it's certainly the best one I've ever seen. Yeah, it was darn impressive. And I've been watching just a little bit longer the Canadian Football League than you, Derek, but not by much. Long enough to, you know, have a maybe a couple dozen more kick returns for touchdowns in my memory bank. But there's just something extra special. And of course, the Blue Bomber fans and having that affinity for the Blue Bombers certainly doesn't hurt in a situation like that. But the one of the amazing parts of that play to me is the challenge because I'm watching this game with my kid who I've been to Winnipeg Jets games with and there are 15,000 other people standing on their feet celebrating a goal and I look at him I go why are you sitting down Jets are offside dad three times he's done that to me in 11 years of going to games with him and he's been right all three times and he says to me dad there was no I saw no holding on that play I think O'Shea should challenge it and I said to him I don't know if you can challenge that sure enough you can the travesty it would have been had that been called back on a phantom call well yeah absolutely uh one point that Mike O'Shea made on the coach's show on Monday is if it was a hold, you wouldn't be able to challenge it. But because it's a called illegal block, it can be challenged. You can't go fishing for an illegal block if you're the other team to try to take one off the board. But because it was a called illegal block, you could, you could challenge it. ...against Winnipeg and ruled that they were legal. There That's you a go. Touchdown. Overturned there you the go. result of the play. That's a touchdown! Touchdown! Because, one, Nick Dembski was on the field, but the official said they reviewed all the blocks by Winnipeg. None of them were illegal. Fist bumps going around in the Bombers' coach's room as it's now Winnipeg 30 and Saskatchewan 21. I ended up being able to see the end zone camera, one that shows you kind of the whole field and seeing where the block was and and what it was and the official who threw the flag right at the, the block that happened. This would have been very early on in the return and the the one time i watched it i went okay i guess i can see why that official threw that flag i guess i get it but uh when when the referee comes back and says we reviewed all official all the blocks against the, against by the winnipeg blue bombers <laughs> and they were all deemed to be legal like okay honestly i don't want to i don't want to start anything for saskatchewan fans who might be listening but in the grand scheme of things even if something was illegal, you have to wipe it off the board and allow that to stand. Because again, that might be the greatest return of all time. You have to, you have to allow, if there was even a slight bit of cheating, if it was a little <laughs> from behind, if it was, you right. have, and it exactly, would, you have to, right? It That's would have to be egregious. It would have to be outrageous. It's outrageous, egregious, preposterous. <laughs> it would have to be something that was pivotal in terms of uh, Saskatchewan not being able to make a tackle or at least have an attempt That's, on it, right? It's week two. Who cares? Like, this isn't the 2014 <laughs> Grey Cup, right? Was it 14 Grey Cup where uh, Banks gets the winning touchdown sure. and actually called back? That was a blatant block in the back. Right. That one, yeah. Yeah. This one to me, because it's week two, because there's 19 more weeks of play and each team has 16 more games, you let cheating stand on that play. That play only, but a play that great and that at much effort from one dude who deserves all the love, you got to allow it. Even if there was cheating, I, I applaud the CFL. If if they if there's an official in the booth who went, oh, you know what, I don't really, I don't really think, I think that might be cheating, but I'm going to let it slide because that was really awesome. I would, I would, I'm buying that guy dinner if that, if that thing happened. 
24-21 at that point, if memory serves, Derek. And this was really a slugfest at that point in time. Saskatchewan and Trevor Harris, despite the hip pointer and everything, actually doing some damage. In fact, Trevor Harris outthrows Zach Claris on the night in terms of yardage. And it comes down to this play to sort of flip the script. And two things come out of that for me. That's the idea that the Canadian Football League is so special because of the way the game can change on a dime like that and the fact that kickers in the back of their head know that, well, I can't kick it out of bounds at a certain point, otherwise I'm going to cost my team field position. I don't really want to kick it to that guy, but I sort of have to. Yeah. Well, and honestly, you hear it in the call, that was a tremendous punt by Adam Corsak. Like, that was... He got it on the ground away from Grant, thinking, well, if we get it on the ground, he's not going to be able to return it. It skips forward. Like, that's a 62-yard punt. That was a tremendous punt. And the first guy coming down, I believe it was Deontay Williams. Like, he's he's on Grant really quickly. That, that was that was set up to be a, a, a field-flipping play for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. But the engineering decided he was going to do it a little better. And one of the things, uh, the NFL is is determined to take returns out of the game. And the CFL, they're determined to take return, keep returns in the game by way they, they changed the area in which a punter can send the ball out of bounds on the fly. They made that shorter to make it harder on punters to force more returns. And in Janaria Grant, we get an example of why the CFL believes so strongly in there should be a lot of returns in this game. So let's shift gears now to the call by Coach Craig Dickinson that I think you feel, and maybe in retrospect, Craig Dickinson feels, was the potential turning point in the game. Lots of qualifiers there. I hate doing that. Sorry, Derek. But the idea that Craig Dickinson kicked a field goal when you were on the air screaming for him to go for a touchdown and probably at least half of Mosaic Field was trying to do the same thing. Yeah, and it was one that I saw coming just from having covered the, the Riders for three years. I remember a game, they played Calgary, and this was 2019. They were down 20 points in the fourth quarter, and Dickinson kicked a field goal. He went, why on earth would you kick a field goal down three touchdowns? Because you're still down three touchdowns, essentially, right? You're, you're, you're just still down three scores, and that was kind of the genesis of, for me. Of, of kind of the gag. Yeah, if you got a three-score game, you got to make it a three-score game, right? You got to take the points and make it a three-score game. Um, and So I, I said it early in the drive. I said, Doug, this is a spot where Craig Dickinson will kick field goals. And essentially, if the Bombers can get uh, them to third down, that's going to be a major win. He kicks, he decides to kick a field goal from the 12-yard line, third and 10 from the 12, with 749 remaining. To get it to 11, which, okay, it's now a touchdown and a field goal. I, I see the nugget of logic in there. But the thing I think coaches miss, and I think, the thing I think certainly Craig missed there is it's not a touchdown and a field goal that you need to, to win the game. In this case, it's a touchdown and a field goal you need to tie the game and have a 50% chance to win in overtime. And then it's not really a touchdown and a field goal you need to tie the game and get to overtime. It's one touchdown with a two-point conversion and one field goal more than the Bombers score the rest of the way. If the Bombers score a field goal, well, now your your plan is goofed. If the Bombers score a touchdown, now you're you're done. You're probably done at that point because you're not getting two touchdowns and a field goal after that, right? 
coaches and and fans and and some media who were some older media folks who were on me were saying, well, it's a two score game. It's not a, really a two score game, and you have to stop thinking of it like it's a two score game. How can how can people who know so much about football just miss this very basic thing of what a two score game truly is? Like, I I just know it. I've never coached it. I just know it from watching it. Like, you need to keep them off the board, and they score. They've scored eighty six points. What? How do you how do you think how do you think you can do that? Magic? Is it going to be magic? I did not get it. I still don't get it. And I hope coaches kind of click into we're, we need to leave ourselves some outs. And it's not just Craig Dickinson. Uh, we talked about it in a game for uh, the Bombers last season when they were getting whomped in Hamilton. Uh, Mike O'Shea, uh, they were down 24. They scored a touchdown. And O'Shea said, we're going for one. And in the booth, uh, I turned to Doug and said, Doug, 24 is 8-8-8. And they're going for seven. So now they have to score four times? It, I'm like, he had, I think he had 14 minutes left, but he had to score three more times after already scoring once. And oh, by the way, if Hamilton scores, now your plan is really in trouble. Yeah. And you know what? And for all the conversation about analytics destroying sport, it doesn't eliminate those bonehead, poor mathematical decisions by, uh, by coaches, plain and simply. I'm surprised that more coaches don't have a chart. And if they have a chart, I think they need to trust that chart a little bit more. Well, it, you make a great point there. Like I, I get criticized a bunch for talking about analytics. This is not analytics. That That's the flow of the game that if you were watching, like you were, you were watching and listening to that game. Did, did you think the bombers could be held scoreless for the final eight minutes? What on earth would give you that impression? You hadn't done it to that point. Doesn't that, I, doesn't that have to yeah. play into your, calculation into your decision well exactly and they just but coaches kind of operate on if we get a stop we're going to be we're going to be good Mm -hmm. well sort of and this is this is by far the funniest part to well this is the funniest part to me and maybe only me because i'm such a big proponent of going for two uh i've i've given you my sermon probably many times on, on going for two uh the funny part of that whole thing would have been uh pretend they get a stop on the bombers Next possession. Okay, well, let's take the field goal. Okay, now it's an eight-point game. Okay, uh, let's. Uh, oh, oh my God, we got magic to get a stop. We force a turnover. Look at this. Oh, now we get a touchdown. Oh, now we have to go for two, which we're not really used to because we don't like doing it because uh, we like to kick. And they they would fail to get the two-pointer. And you go, okay, well now you're done because uh, there's zero point there's zero point four seconds left, and you left it all for this two-point convert, which you just assumed you were going to get, even though you never go for it. There's some there's just points in the logic to me that just do not make sense with that decision. And I again I keep getting the you gotta take the points. And I just mm. think that is such malarkey because you have to outscore you. Nobody cares about what how many points you score if you don't score more points than your opponents. Okay. Well, I think we could continue to talk about this, but let's move on to a couple other things before we talk about the BC Lions coming up this week. And I was at the game, obviously covering the game, the home opener. I was having a conversation via text message with one of my buddies and who noticed Johnny Augustine on that incredible tackle on special teams. Down to our left, standing at his 18-yard line. Small's kick will drive Grant toward the sideline on the run at the 23. 30. 35. Grant whack oh. ball, fumble, and the Hamilton's going to score unless Les Maluo can catch the returner tackled down just inside the five-yard line. 
a desperation play by Johnny Augustine, saves a touchdown. What is happening? Fraser Sopic had it land in his arms. And my buddy says, why does Johnny Augustine stick around with the Bombers? Couldn't he be a starter on other teams? And I, my retort to him was, well, he probably likes winning championships, first and foremost. He's probably comfortable here. What's your take on why the Blue Bombers are successful in retaining the services of Johnny Augustine? Because his services were somewhat critical on Friday night. Yeah, they were. That was a tremendous play. I, I honestly kind of thought Fraser Sopic was going to walk into the end zone when Les Malua wasn't able to get him. But man, Augustine can can run, and and that hustle was incredible. I wonder because we wondered that going into last season. Uh, you know, it was the first post Andrew Harris season, and will it be? It looks like it's going to be Brady Oliveira, but. Both Doug Brown and I kind of felt, well, they're going to need to get Johnny Augustine some carries within this because look at what Johnny's able to do when he runs the ball. And I think he was maybe the highest yards per carry in the CFL in his career to that point. Uh, but it never really transpired that way. It was Brady Oliveira. So I I wonder if, uh, and uh, this is just me speculating, I wonder if there's not a starting job uh, for Johnny Augustine out there somewhere else uh there aren't a ton of teams that are that want to go canadian at running back the bombers do it the tie cats will do it uh sean thomas erlington is their canadian back and that that cat runs hard there aren't a ton of teams that want to go canadian even though i i i could make a passionate argument why you really should and why it's better for you uh and then you know sometimes you just the grass isn't greener on the other side. It's right. it's good on the blue side, right? For what you said, winning championships and and you like where you work. I'm sure he would love more carries, but uh, he'll Johnny will never kind of say that out loud. Uh, I'm who what running back wouldn't want more carries? But I wonder if uh, if he knows that this is the best place for me based on based on my skills and and what I can bring. And I think we had this discussion during the Andrew Harris days. The idea is, well, it's all well and good to focus your offense and your running game around a Canadian running back because of the ratio yeah. in particular. But if that guy goes down, then your offense is sort of thrown in disarray, which means you don't need one solid Canadian running back. You need two. And in the case of the Blue Bombers, an embarrassment of riches for a couple of years where they had three solid Canadian running backs. Yeah, you you could also make a flip and go. Okay, well we have an extra Canadian receiver who will go in for an American. If if the guy were to go down, we could just make that transition. Uh, that's what like Hamilton would do, right? Hey, if we're going to use uh, if if we somehow carried our American running back, we'd just flip a Canadian in there at receiver for those plays, or we'd bring in uh, we'd bring in a Canadian lineman as tight end, for example, would be an easy. It it can be done, uh, but teams just don't do it, and I. I haven't uh, I haven't looked at it in, in a bit, and uh, I can't dig it up while we're talking because then it'll just be me clicking in the background. But I was I looked at I have this theory of I would I would use more Canadians in my run game if I'm if I'm manipulating the ratio, and I looked at all Canadian running backs versus all American running backs, and I even took Andrew Harris out of the Canadian side because I feel like Andrew Harris was a special case, and it was something like three tenths of a yard difference between the American running backs and the Canadian running backs in the CFL. Like the Americans were on average three tenths of a yard better. And that includes the absolute stars uh, that we've seen at running back in the last few years. And this was a, this was looking since, I don't know, it just over the last handful of years. And I went, 
three-tenths of a yard, and I can flip my ratio there, and I can use my American in a different spot. And with what, you know, I mean, you and I have talked about this. What what I believe about running backs, I would really try to find Canadian running backs. And then think of the ripple effects of, uh, again, there's what I believe about running backs, and there's what other people believe about running backs. Canadian guys touching the ball 15 times a game. We're going to get to say his name 15 times a game and say from the University of Manitoba, Anthony Coombs, 15 carries for 87 yards. How incredible would that be for uh, a league where they should be promoting promoting the Canadians more and we should get more love for the Canadian players? We are 20 minutes into this thing and we've yet to talk about the Blue Bomber offense to any great extent and the fact that this team with the aid of some incredible special teams play and some terrific kicking from Sergio Castillo, the Blue Bombers are scoring over 40 points a game. This is an offensive juggernaut by any measure. Yeah, and it's so far kind of what we thought it was. We, 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 I kind of thought this is going to be the best offense in the league. Best quarterback, best receiving core, terrific offensive line. Brady Oliver is an excellent running back. This is going to be the best running, run, or pardon me, best offense in the CFL. There's other ones that might be good, but this one's going to be awesome. And so far, so good, right? There's one special teams touchdown in that, so 78 offensive points in two games, whereas Edmonton's played two games and they have like 13 points. It's crazy. And the the part where, while I thought it was going to be great, I don't know if I thought it was going to be this great in weeks one and two. Like this is fast to be going out for, you know, all back to back forty burgers on the scoreboard. Thought, oh, it might take some, t- you know, a couple weeks to get together because last year the two games against Ottawa, weeks one and two, were really low scoring. Nope, they're just pounding the ball in and spreading it all around. And uh, Drew Brown and Drew Wolitarski are the only guys with two touchdowns. I think there's five or six more uh, that have one single touchdown. It's it is so impressive to watch because they're they're doing it with multiple different receivers. Hey, you're open. You get the ball. You get the ball. You get the ball. They're doing it with Brady Oliveira, who had 180 from scrimmage in that first game. It's it, it, Kalaris is scrambling for touchdowns. What world? In which what, what world does <laughs> Zach Kalaris scramble for touchdowns? The guy scrambled only eight times last year. He did three in the game against Sask, including the one for the touchdown, and then threw the ball in the pill country. Like, come on, this. This is, uh, we're seeing something pretty special through two weeks. Yeah, well, let's hope that he doesn't get too comfortable in that endeavor, Derek, because uh, yeah. I think uh, we'll be collectively as a Blue Bomber fan base and observers holding our breath every single time. Zach Caleros could really run the ball back in the day when he wanted to, but I don't think the Blue Bombers want him to be doing that very often. Last one before we shift gears here, and I think what I wanted to ask you had to do with this idea of the Blue Bombers coming out the way they are, this is, in my mind, boils down to one word, and that's continuity. It's got to be, right? It's It's got to be. Um, all the offensive line is is back. Chris Kolonkowski played the most games at center last year with Michael Couture's injury, so that's great. All the receivers were with the team last year. And when Kenny Lawler is finally able to play, it'll be a guy who was with them in 21 Kolaris is healthy. The running game figured out whatever ailed it in the first seven weeks of last year. That's long been figured out. Yeah, continuity to me. Uh, continuity and continuity of star players, right? Because Dembski was a free agent, could have got enormous dollars to go somewhere else. Kenny Lawler could have got enormous dollars to go somewhere else. Uh, Dalton Schoen deserves enormous dollars, but uh, 
He's a fortunately for the Bombers, he's a he's a rookie. Walatarski, I mean, has more value here probably than anywhere else. But he could have he could have chosen to gone somewhere to go somewhere. Uh, everybody could have could have chose to go somewhere, but I think they see something pretty special, and I think we're seeing what they see. Uh, it's it is fantastic, and man, it's going to continue Thursday against BC. Another 40-burger coming, and we're going to be celebrating 3-0, I said with my fingers crossed, making Greg very uncomfortable. Tuesdays just after 7.35 means breakfast with the Bombers. Brought to you by cooperators investing in your future together. Winnipeg Blue Bombers, they're off to a 2-0 start and look like an absolute juggernaut on offense, including, Loren, their kicking game. Our next guest is perfect on field goals this season. He did miss an extra point Friday night. However, he kicked a rouge on the ensuing kickoff. And before we bring him on, let's start with something fun because uh, we teased this a bit earlier on the Blue Bombers podcast last week. Derek Taylor and Greg decided on something very important. Make it like he's a like he's the lead in like a, a movie, a Hallmark movie based on a romance novel. Sergio. <laughs> Just a little roll that G say it really breathy, Sergio. I think there might need to be a, a little bit of a sound effect whenever you use his name and whenever we talk about him in this context. <laughs> Cal Milroy, if like you can that. help us with that. Sergio. Blue Bomber kicker Sergio Castillo joins us now. Sergio, good morning. Good morning. How you guys doing? Doing well. Do we have permission to add that uh, sound effect to our podcast anytime we're speaking adoringly of your of your uh, of your work on the field? <laughs> Let's go for it. I'm all for it. Very good. All right. It's authorized. So rubber stamped. Love it. Uh, thanks for joining us. We think this might be the first time we've ever had you on Breakfast with the Bombers. So so welcome to the segment. Friday night, we saw just how important special teams are in Canadian football with that spectacular punt return touchdown by Janarian Grant. Does knowing, as the kicker, Sergio, like does knowing the other team can return a kick for six points the other way, if you miss the kick, put extra pressure on you to make your field goals? Uh, it does, uh, you know, in my mindset, you know, obviously it just, I always try to block out like, hey, it's whoever was back there. You know, I know when I first started kicking, you know, Speedy Banks was the guy, right? And and unfortunately I missed one. He returned one on us back, at, back then. But it's just... Um, it does add that element. You know, the special teams coach, the head coach, everyone's aware is like, you know, we better make this. You know, we don't want to, uh, you know, l- lose the momentum on a on a, on a a kick like that, right? So, but I'm definitely uh, lucky to have a Janari on my side now, right? Because I don't have to worry much about that. So, it's uh, he's definitely a game changer. So we know you're a motivational speaker, Sergio, and your education was in education. And so when you talk to, and maybe we can focus on kids here, what's part of your story that you like to share to either motivate them or, you know, when, when bad things do happen, whether it be on the field or in life, how, how to respond to that? Uh, so one thing I tell them, and, you know, and we were talking about it with the, you know, because we got together as a group of, you know, some of the group of yesterday, the guys, it's like, it's not if, but when um, hard circumstances come approach us because that it's going to happen is going to happen right so um 
so one does not act surprised when something bad happens, right? Or like, or go into the pouty moment of why me, right? Uh, two is just like t- play play the cards that you've been dealt with. But more importantly, is I tell I tell kids create a vision board, and they or a dream board, you know, whatever people call it. And I was introduced to this board back in 2014. It was my first year out of college, and um, long story short, I used to take the bus to work. And I had just gotten released by the Atlanta Falcons. And my bus driver at the time, he's like, Serge, I challenge you to create a vision board. I'm like, well, what's a vision board? He's like, I want you to think of your dreams, and I want you to print pictures of your dreams. I was like, all right. And, you know, in the first dream, it consisted of, a, you know, a, it's a, a cartoon picture, and it's like a big old family having a, a, a barbecue. And I titled it, Castillo's family reunion. My biggest dream was to have a family. My dad really wasn't involved much in my, my, my life. So it was like, I struggled with that because, you know, I always wanted to know what it meant to, to have dinner with a mom and a dad present. It was always my mom. And I love my mom and my aunts and uncles and my grandma that raised me because I missed that father figure. Right. So my biggest dream was to have a family. The second one was a picture of NFL and CFL logo. I want to play pro. And People ask me all the time, you know, Serge, you've been cut more than 10 times. You tore your ACL. How are you able to come back? And I kept looking at that vision board. That was the first thing I saw when I woke up, and it was the last thing I saw before I went to bed on those hard times. And it reminded me on bad days who I was going to become in the future. So there's a saying, you are what you eat, you are what you think. You think you can do it, you're right. If you think you cannot do it, you're also right. So we got to win the battle on the mind before we step on the battle on the field, at school, at home, et cetera. So Sergio, you've been around the, the Canadian football league. I can't remember which, but you know, Kevin Glenn <laughs> quarterback uh, was a member of each and every team in the CFL. I've heard some players say you want to see Canada as an American become a Canadian football league player. And, and so you've seen a good share of Canada, but you've also spent time in the National Football League. So just just talk about what it's been like to achieve these dreams and to and to have this vision that you help create for yourself come true. You know, uh, number one is I'm just I'm grateful to be where I'm at. Right. And then I'm grateful for the people that have been placed in my life because there's been different phases in my life where. I needed that specific person and that person was either there for just a short season or there's people that are going to be in my lifetime forever because we've been connected through, through moments where I was struggling. Right. So just to be able to keep on living this dream, a kid from La Jolla, Texas, where, you know, football's popular, but no, no one had really ever made the jump just to even play college football. Um, it's definitely a big, accomplishment. So now I, I embrace my platform that I have and to be able to live my dream, but also to try it and help others. And maybe it might not be football or sports or maybe another career where I can try and help them and guide them that, Hey, it doesn't matter. You know, if you're Brown or your last name is Castillo, Gonzalez, Garcia, Calazos, et cetera, you know, it can be done. Right. And so it's just trying to use my platform as much as I can right now to try to, you know, it's inspire and motivate uh, young kids and, you know, my nieces and nephews, which I have about 15 of them now. And uh, so just trying to use my platform as much as I can. 
And Sergio, before we let you go, just curious. Um, we tried the the game day food special yesterday. It's a jumbo taco in a bag, $35. You get a family-sized bag of old Dutch Arriba chips, a pound and a half of taco meat, some pico de gallo, lettuce, shredded cheese, salsa, sour cream, and green onions. Uh, do you ever get to try the game day specials, or is that uh, do you have to you know, eat a little healthier before the game? Well, I don't know if there's any health in my diet, right? <laughs> I try to stay clean throughout <laughs> I try to stay uh, healthy throughout the week, but, man, I just have a sweet tooth. And, man, as soon as I smell those fresh homemade tortillas, man, it kills me. Um, <laughs> no, I have, not been a- I have not been able to try um, that dish uh, yet. Uh, maybe uh, I can order it for after the game. That'd be, that'd be <laughs> something I can probably do. I would like to see you on the sidelines with that after, you know, just having a little taco on the bag after a big win. Maybe we can see we so, can make that happen. Uh, I, I have a very funny and true story. So in high school, I was in the drum line in band. So halftime, I'll take off my pads and then I put my drum, bass drum on. I march in halftime and then I would go put my pads on, play the rest of the game. Well, my freshman year, I was only in band. And I remember in halftime after we would perform, we would get these bomb barbecue Felix tacos. We each would get two. And, man, they were just so good. Fresh homemade tortillas, good beef fajitas, sausage, man. Just, they hit at home, right? Well, my sophomore year when I started kicking, I'm like, dang it, I'm not going to be able to eat those tacos anymore. <laughs> so after a couple of days, that's the fatty in me, right? And, and um, so what I started doing on purpose, I started leaving my bass drum next to my kicking net because my best, my best friends, Roger and Steven, which I still keep in touch with to this day, they had to pick up my drum and put it back in the case for me because I had to return back to play. Right. Well, when they would leave my drum, they would leave me two tacos in my kicking bag and I beat them in the third quarter. <laughs> one knee. Cause here's the thing. Once that texture of that tortilla touches your lips, you would see why. I love it. Outstanding. <laughs> Thank you, Sergio. You're welcome back on this program anytime you like, my friend. Thank you for this. I uh, appreciate it. Y'all have a good day. Sergio Castillo joining us live on 680 CJOB, Blue Bomber Kicker. All right, BC Lions coming to town, and uh, this is the only team in the Canadian Football League, in my mind to this point, that has shown anything close to being maybe, maybe being able to jog with, I won't quite say run, with the big boys that are the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, but I think this should be a very good game coming up on Thursday night because uh, BC doesn't look half bad, DT. They don't look half bad, but I don't know how good they look. Uh, They beat Calgary in week one. Calgary looked awful in that game. And then they beat Edmonton. They shut out the Elks. And Edmonton kind of redefined awful in that game. Uh, 22-0 that one. BC scored 47 points in two games would be my concern if I'm a BC Lions fan. And maybe it's all, maybe it's all chips and gravy there and everybody feels great. But they beat Edmonton and they kicked five field goals to do it. And uh, I look at that and go, if you kick five field goals against the Bombers, I guarantee you're getting beat, right? You need to score touchdowns. So... What's uh, they've scored? I, I'm going to guess three touchdowns this season, two in the first game against Calgary, 
It might have been three, but then one against the Elks. I, I don't know what's keeping them out of the end zone, they, they're, but they're going to need to find it because they've scored 47 in two games and the Bombers could score 47 on Thursday alone. So I I appreciate that uh, BC is 2-0. and It looks like things are going uh, you know fairly well for Vernon Adams at, at quarterback. And they're not 100% healthy, so things are, are you know would would potentially can go up from here. But if Sean White's your leading scorer, their their star kicker, that ain't gonna do it against this Blue Bombers team that popped 21 in the first quarter against Hamilton and then put 40 something 45 on a uh, Saskatchewan team that we think has a pretty good defense. All right, so maybe the numbers deceive me, but I'm looking at the stats right now. Vernon Adams, the only other quarterback in the league, averaging more than 300 yards passing, other than Zach Caleros, through two games. They have the leading rusher in the league. Uh, what am I missing? Well, it's just where, where the, where's the finishing of drives, right? Why aren't there why aren't there more touchdowns? And why? And what will you do when you play a team that that looks like it's really good, like? Through two games, the Elks have 13 points, and their quarterback is spraying the ball all over the place. So, that to me, I, I it's great that you won that game. I don't give you a ton of credit for beating on the beating on what appears to be the worst team in the CFL. But yeah, it, to me, it's just how do you finish drives with touchdowns because that's going to be important, right? You can kick. There was a game last year for the Bombers where they were in Calgary, and Calgary great opening drive, kick a field goal. Great second drive, they kick a field goal. Bombers walk down, stuff the ball in the end zone, and you go, well, you had two great drives, the Bombers had one, and the Bombers are now winning, right? Touchdowns are just incredibly important. And I don't I don't know if there's anything about BC that uh, is troubling them in the red zone right now, but uh, if they don't figure it out or they don't figure out how to, you know, get Dominic Rimes a touchdown from the 40-yard line, it just how many field goals is Sean White going to kick 15 field goals on Thursday against the Bombers to win 45, 43. Oh my it's, word. Oh my word. When you put it like that, 15 yeah. field goals uh, to be in the conversation. I understand where you're coming from DT, but is it fair to suggest that uh, Dominic Rhymes and, and Vernon Adams, they might be like the second best outside of Winnipeg. Maybe, you know, let's put the blue bombers oh. aside, the mortal teams. They're the best combination passer catcher in the league right now. I would, th- from a stats perspective, sure. I have, I have, uh, I have concerns about Vernon Adams that have never gone away, but it's it's flowing right now in BC. That's for sure. Jordan McSimmick, the offensive coordinator, appears to have things going well. They they have Taekwon Mazel, just an unknown running back, is doing good things out of their backfield. And again, they're not 100% healthy, and yet they're still able to uh, to put this together. Uh, plus, I mean, to go two professional football games and only allow 15 points is is pretty impressive. So that defense has it as well. That defense is no joke. Those guys on their front are no joke at all. So yeah, no, they they deserve some love, but to, like there's there's sometimes the first place team is so far ahead of the second place team that second feels more like third. That's to me, that's kind of what there is. Until until I have some evidence to the contrary, I just think the Bombers are so far ahead of whoever is number two in the Canadian Football League that it feels like, to me, there is no number two. He's steadfast in his views. He has the facts to back them up. I did what I could to try and make this a more intriguing matchup than perhaps it is. I've failed. You've won, Derek Taylor. You've convinced me that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers will go 1-0 and again this week, and they might do so in a fairly convincing 
fashion. One last question for you before we run. And that's the idea that the Blue Bomber defense, they gave up a ton of yards against Saskatchewan. Can we tie it back to the Blue Bomber offense and the amount of money that the Bombers are spending on offense? Do you think that they're prepared to just try and go out and beat everybody 40-39 if need be, if other teams can manage to find a way to score points on them? Oh, I think they're absolutely prepared to do that. And yeah, it's it's interesting. You talk about the amount of money. It's it's a hard salary cap sport, right? So if you spend in position one, you can't spend it in position two. And, you know, they, they have stars back on defense, right? They have Willie and they have Jackson Jeffcoat, who's unfortunately on sixth game. And they have Adam Big Hill and they have Brandon Alexander. But they are relying on a lot of minimum salary, you know, rookie contract guys on the defense and when Samuel Emelis who to that point we didn't know too much about in the CFL goes off for three scores you go okay well that's that's something that's going to need to be addressed that might just be the reality right Uh, 2021 was this crushing all-powerful defense that allowed fewer than 13 opponent offensive points per game which is man that that's a mind-bending number to to allow uh, this year might be just the complete opposite of that in the offense. And, you know, maybe they allow, who knows? I'm just going to pull it up. If they allow 28 points a game, but they score 36 points a game, it, it's just a different way, which is one that we're going to have to get used to because I, I think you're right that it's, it's a salary cap sport. And if you give Zach 600 grand and you give Kenny Lawler 250 grand and you give Dembski 190, well, that just, it just, it, there's nothing you can do other than just accept that it takes away from, uh, other positions, you can't fund them as well as you will, and your center will leave for BC, and your your stud defensive tackle will leave for Hamilton. That just it's the reality of a salary cap sport. The Bombers kind of pick their direction, and uh, at least for the moment, so far so good. I don't care what the cost is. Nick Dembski. Kalaus for Dembski. The five and a touchdown. Dylan Mitchell's going to get one on Winston Rose. Going deep for Mitchell on Rose. Got it at the 20 and he's going to walk into the end zone. You know what I've learned about CFL fantasy football is that it makes me hate players. Kamar Jordan, I don't know anything about him, but I hate him now. Another place where you need to have salary cap knowledge on a micro level is with CFL Fantasy. How are you doing, Derek Taylor? I'm looking. I moved up in the standings, but that's not saying very much. I got 82.1 points, which is still not a ton, even with Zach Caleros getting me 53.4. I'm up to 8,221st. I was in like the, you know, 10,000th. Are, are, you, are you above the 49th percentile yet? I am 857. Uh, in the nation after 128 points in the, on the week. So, uh, you know, right? Yeah. Top, That's top a little better for this cat. That's a little yes. better. So uh, 107th in the CJB fantasy league, which contains as of now, 758 people, which we are super happy about. But uh, this was a good week for me with Zach Kalaris, uh, Dalton Schoen, obviously just, just popped this week and then you know you got to find little value picks that are going to produce like if uh, if you didn't take calgary running back Dedrick mills you missed out on a minimum salary guy who we all uh, we knew was going to run for big big yards because he's the running back in calgary this week there was 16 points taekwon mazel the bc running back there's another 16 points just these little ones it even made up for the fact that carlton agadosi uh his biggest scoring play was turned into a pass interference call because 
bunch of cheaters. Uh, so yeah, I got robbed of that. But yeah, <laughs> you, you find those little spots where you go, hey, if I can get a discount player here who's going to start for an offense that's going to go flying, mm, this this could turn out pretty well. And I had I had a pretty lucky week in that way. So that's the key is to find those those supplemental players. Anybody can pick the the top two or three players on your team. It, it's finding the the filler, so to speak. Yeah, because you you want to spend fifteen k on Zach Kalaris, or you want to spend fifteen grand on Dalton Schoen. Well, you have to be able those guys would be almost half your salary cap. So you got to find the the cheap options, the the guys who are going to. Uh, so honestly, uh, if you're listening and you you're playing CFL fantasy or you want to. Take running backs from teams that you think are going to win, and if a running back is injured, who's his backup, and then start picking on picking that guy up because you can get a Dedrick Mills for he'll be now eighty six hundred dollars this this week instead of fifteen grand, and he's going to produce because he is a starter. He's going to produce like a starter. And if you think their team's going to win, that is the way to go. If if Brady Oliveira were to not be able to play on Thursday, I would say hundred percent you got to take Johnny Augustine. So. Fingers crossed Brady plays on Thursday because there's no reason why he shouldn't uh, if his thorax heals as he was listed with a thorax on the injury list. But, yeah, take take inexpensive running backs and then uh, spend your money freely in other spots. Not only can you compete against him, you can get his advice right here on the Blue Bomber podcast. Derek Taylor, the voice of the Blue Bombers. DT, see you at the stadium Thursday night. Yes. Unbeaten teams clash in Winnipeg. So that's it. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and share the Blue Bomber podcast. And also, in case you didn't already know, Monday night's Coaches Show with Derek Taylor and Mike O'Shea will be automatically uploaded to the Blue Bomber podcast. So if you want to catch a rerun of that or catch it, and listen to it at your leisure. You can do so by subscribing to the Blue Bomber podcast. We will recap this week's game next week and look ahead in the Canadian Football League, focusing on, of course, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Greg Mackling, on behalf of Derek Taylor, thank you for spending some time with us.